0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to episode 11 of The Story Studio with your hosts, Luke Condor and Daniel Wilcox. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Check it out now. Welcome to the Story Studio, a podcast where an independent publishing company explores the world of self-publishing, independent art, and the future of storytelling. It's a show for filmmakers, writers, comic book makers, crowdfunders, entrepreneurs, creators, and anyone looking anyone looking to tell stories in the modern world. My name is Daniel Wilcox, and today I'm joined by...
1: Uh, Luke Condor with a K.
0: And John Locke is back. Our special guest today, John Locke, hey. 2.0 from Big also, Punch also, Studios. Also with a K. Oh, nice. Also with... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no,
2: I'm sorry. I, I'm very, very happy to be here. He said, gesturing with his arms on a purely audio, uh, audio medium. so. i apologize yeah not quite firing on full cylinders but i I will endeavor to be entertaining
1: yeah oh great this is a an addendum to the previous episode i guess um if you haven't if you haven't listened to the previous episode to find out who john is what he's all about you should probably check that first and then come to here uh does that sound about right
2: uh, we've had some, uh, very nice feedback based on, uh, the previous episode, which has been, which has been lovely, actually. Uh, you know, you, 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 you do all this waffling into a mic and, uh, you're never sure of any, how, uh, how it's, uh, being received, but now we've had some people say they, they really enjoy hearing about what we do at Big Punch, which
1: is nice. Oh, so, Fantastic.
2: so thank you. Thank you guys. Yeah. You've, um, yeah, yeah. You're opening doors for
1: us. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> do you, uh, do out of like curiosity, do? do you tell people that you podcast openly? I, it's something I tell people but uh I have to figure out who that what kind of reaction I'm going to get first if to Meaning tell, like polite society. Yeah, I would never yeah, I don't say I talk to microphones in my spare time to so most people.
2: Hmm. Uh do I? Yeah, I, I I think um
1: we may have touched on this
2: recently. You know, we may have touched on this in uh briefly when we last spoke, but um I think like I'm reaching a point now where I don't know if I'm, like, proud of what I do, but I'm definitely less ashamed, if you know what I mean, of saying that, like, I do, I don't, I'm not an adult, you yeah. know. We say, what do you do? Say, well, you know, we write and we design some games and uh, occasionally I, a podcast. And uh, I'm getting to the point now where I can say that and people go, like, cool, cool. Like, you know, they're starting to maybe not understand it, but, like, yeah. just
0: not, not actively be scared of it anymore, which is nice. There's like a birthing period, isn't there, where you've got to kind of settle into... Admitting mm. that you do it to yourself before you admit that you do it to other people. I'm. I think I'm still at that point with with my work where I've only told a couple of people, and even those people that I've told, have been like, "Ah, podcast, Alex, it's nothing. It's it's stupid."
1: Yeah. The worst yeah, thing we... is the worst thing is when you have to explain what a podcast is, which is mm. kind of crazy to me. The amount of podcasts I listen to, I thought it was, you know, standard standard content. Now,
2: well, it's weird. I mean, I I. It's, it's so weird like I listen to a lot less music than I used to now and if I, I have headphones in all the time uh so certainly when I'm you know doing um, the day job and editing because I can kind of just like you know isolate myself from the world but um yeah more and more it's just podcasts on all kinds of stuff like I, I just enjoy hearing people talk hmm. in fact some of my favorite podcasts are the more aimless ones where it's just conversations
1: committed to tape yeah any any come to mind you
2: yeah, well, I mean, I think um, uh, like a gateway drug of mine into the world of podcasting was, um, well, actually, yeah, I think, uh, I, have you guys heard of Loading Ready Run?
1: I don't think so, no. no, no.
2: Well, Loading Ready Run are a uh, Canadian-based uh, group of internet comedians and um, very kind of indie. Uh, in, like, like to be fair, I mean, I'm doing them a disservice. Like, they have hmm. probably hundreds of thousands of followers, not quite, not quite millions, you know, not quite hundreds. Yeah. But they live off what they do. They have a studio, you know. Really, really, they were a massive inspiration for me, kind of getting started because I know what they did was very different to what I was aspiring to do, making comics. But I loved the fact that they were just doing it off their own back entirely, and they thought they're everything I I aspired to kind of be as like an indie creator and they just used to do kind of like in the kind of, Oh, when did the kind of podcast revolution start? It's probably about a decade ago. I mean, they were just, um, they just do like a monthly podcast, which was nothing more advanced than them all gathered in one room with a single mic, just Mm -hmm. kind of chatting about everything they'd done that week. And I just, I think that's maybe where I got my love of just those informal conversations because they just waffled on and they don't do that anymore now, but, uh, in my modern podcasting, I, I started with the Kevin Smith podcasts yeah. because
1: the man can talk, and the man can, <laughs> and he's got a great voice. He's got like a really deep voice.
2: He really does, yeah. Hmm. It's, it's crazy, and I I, I loved um, his Fat Man on Batman uh, hmm. podcast. <laughs> uh, I remember like uh, someone telling me about his Grant Morrison interview, and I'm I'm just the most shameless Grant Morrison fan in the hmm. world, and
1: uh, that explains a lot. By the way, after reading a lot of Bench Big Punk. Bi- BPM Big Punch Magazine. I can I can see the influence now.
2: Thank you. Yeah, I kind of like uh, shamelessly wearing that on my sleeve. But um, yeah, oh god, what am I listening to now? Uh, Yeah, uh, do uh, okay. Do you guys know uh, Scott Kurtz and Chris Straub?
1: I don't think so. Straub rings a bell, but Straub
2: rings a bell. Yeah. Well, they're both um, uh, web cartoonists, and I think uh, like in that thing where I guess we're comic book makers. Mm. And I know you guys are working on a comic, so, you know, hey, one big happy comic family. Yeah. Uh, comic book makers, they're definitely like web cartoonists. And uh, uh, Scott Kurtz did, uh, and still does, PVP, which was like one of the first massive success web comic things, which is still kind of running today. And is is one of the most visited web comics uh, in the world. And um, Chris Straub uh, is a fellow uh cartoonist who kind of like uh started out as a like uh he was a lot he was a uh, degree younger than scott Kurtz. he was kind of like his friend but also like uh, like learning from him and kind of coming up and uh over years like uh, i have a massive man crush on chris straub i feel, hmm. i should feel i should feel i feel i should be honest about this because he's he's really really insanely talented and the two of them are and they're hilarious and right at the moment i've been listening to a couple of podcasts they did about ten years ago, like those mm. those episodes are still online, and uh, yeah. it was called Web Comics Weekly, and it was yeah very much like uh, the realities and kind of economics of of making comics on an indie level, and again slightly different to what we do. Um, yeah, but there was a lot a lot to be learned from it, and they're just very funny guys, and I could listen to them talk
1: all I, day. I could listen to independent storytelling type people all day as well. I think it's just that when someone's ethos resonates with your own it you feel like it it always in in day-to-day you don't really find people who do what you do very often (laughs) so it's just nice to find people out there that that are similar in a way
2: yeah i was gonna say speaking of talking too much
1: um i feel
2: an important part of my brain isn't quite working tonight like the bit that might normally tell me to shut up so please do tell me to shut up otherwise in this mildly de- delirious state of mine I-, I will just keep talking i'm not like just a... have a signal, just both cover our cameras yeah. <laughs>
1: okay fine right i'm not a, so, I'm not a professional interviewer but i'm pretty sure telling the guests to shut up isn't the isn't the best interviewing technique. it's an etiquette yeah <laughs> it's it'd be a
0: hell of a statement
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: My, uh, the podcast I'm listening to at the minute, which I'm really enjoying, which I was surprised I did, was, have you listened to any of um, The Walk in Dave?
1: Listened to the, I've listened to the first yeah. few.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I think yeah, Luke will know a bit more. I mean, um, do you ever listen to the self-publishing podcast, John? No, no. No? Well, that's fantastic to listen to. It's three guys. It's Johnny B. and uh, Sean Platt, and David W. Wright. And um, David, I think about a year ago, he, he ended up in hospital because he's overweight and he's got health problems decided to double his weight loss by walking around and recording a podcast as he does it. So while he's up, while he's up in his half hour walks, he kind of just talks about his life and and things that are happening, and it's just it's really weird because that kind of stuff I wouldn't normally listen to, but it's so just raw and honest, and there are some hilarious bits in it. So I've listened to two episodes in a row where. It's, they're on completely different days but as he's walking past the line of trees he spots the same snake appear like two <laughs> days in a row and you just hear him stop talking and go oh shit there's a snake and you go okay and then the next episode exactly the same thing but it's just one of those where he rambles about his life but there are lessons in that where i go yeah it sounds a little bit like mm. some of the stuff that i go through as you know a, a, an indie author so
1: yeah dave dave Wright is a quite an enigmatic soul and it's He's quite interesting to listen to just just talk and waffle on. Uh I definitely what does he do. Him. I feel I feel he's, so ignorant. He's a, an an author so he he just writes uh fiction like writes horror books. And, oh and oh sort of, yeah. Yeah. yeah but he's a cool guy yeah. though.
2: Um,
1: yeah, I've been uh, uh the
2: um speaking of horror like just uh just cuz I was uh getting ready uh before speaking to you guys I was listening to uh an an episode of one of Chris Straub's uh, kind of modern podcasts from like this year uh called um scared yet question mark and uh he has uh he does an amazing webcomic called brood hollow
1: mm, that, uh, which
2: no, is it, kind of like uh tintin meets uh cthulhu <laughs> uh which is probably like the best but i was doing it a massive disservice but it's uh it's kind of fantastic absolutely fantastic and the artwork is deceptively simple uh it hangs with a kind of tintin thing and it's set in this kind of prohibition era Town uh, in America called Brood Hollow, so it's kind of like this Stephen King-esque vibe, and you know, deep horrible things beneath the town. But uh, the main character, uh, Wadsworth Zane, I want to say his name is. He's a door-to-door encyclopedia salesman who inherits uh, his his great uncle dies. He's the sole heir to whatever fortune he had, and he has to go to Brood Hollow to collect his his inheritance, and ends up getting stuck there for various reasons and he has OCD and obsessions and neuroses and and there are horrible things in the town and every time these horrible horrible things appear the artwork shifts quite dramatically and goes from being like this really cutesy uh almost childlike style to suddenly being very grim and scary like the monsters are quite dark and so he's got uh, and it, it walks the amazing line between being very scary but also very funny it's uh a humor horror thing at the same time, and uh, yeah, and he does a podcast with um another uh, cartoonist called Abby Howard, who I'm not massively familiar with her work, but yeah, they've just been talking about things that scare them. Oh, oh, oh sorry, and uh, Chris Straub, um he wrote uh, the Creepy Pasta um, hmm. Candle Cove. I don't know if oh,
1: that okay. rings a
2: bell. It rings made... a bell. This is the weirdest thing. Like, this is the era we live in. He wrote. Like a a creepy pasta, which was maybe like four hundred words, if that, uh, which was a fake message thread in a forum about people discussing uh, a kids' program. They all remembered as a, a from when they were children, and it was called Candle Cove, and people were saying like, oh yeah, that show used to terrify me as a kid. It was all these really creepy puppets and stuff. And this, uh, something called like the Bone Eater and stuff like that, which would just like utterly terrify them. And then loads of people realizing that that show never aired, but they all remember it. And mm. someone said like their, their mom came in and they were just staring at a screen of Scatic, that kind of thing. And mm. And from that, which was really just, like a like a, like a I guess like a modern art installation. It wasn't even a story. It was like a just a fake forum. Um, that's now being picked up and is being made into a TV series. And um, wow, <laughs> that's pretty really it, cool. it's, it's absolutely bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre. He's a very talented guy.
1: Yeah, mm.
2: have to check out some of his stuff. Amazing. A recommend um, brood hollow. So good.
1: Brood hollow. We'll we'll link all in the show notes again so people can check it out. Um, John, I've got to quickly say congratulations. Uh, because your Kickstarter campaign was fully funded?
2: Oh, good grief. Yeah. Flip. Sorry. No, it's been a a manic two weeks. It it really has. Um, but yeah, I I got the email today from Kickstarter saying, you know, we've successfully processed all the funds and they'll be arriving soon. And, um, we've got the first digital rewards out, out the door. So yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like, it's almost like it didn't happen. It was like a bizarre dream, but now yeah we are about to be full steam ahead on getting the rest of yeah. the book finished. Fantastic.
1: Um, I've received my some of my digital awards I think. Uh so I've got I've been reading Afterlife 1 volume 1 uh catching up and it is very cool. I actually really like the foreword as well. You have a little bit of a spiel talking about uh traveling across Canada and oh, yeah, and, yeah. and then we're wondering I think you you were in a bit of an ennui about writing in general like you didn't know if you wanted to continue and then you sort of came back and thought i'm going to do this thing that became after i think does that sound about right
2: uh absolutely i mean uh it depends how much rope you want to give me because I'll, I'll I'll waffle on about canada if you want that Canada canada was my kind of uh my my formative year i guess hmm. i uh I, I studied um i studied biological sciences at, at university uh, stop me if I mentioned this in the last podcast, and um, it uh, as much as I loved it, it wasn't. I didn't think it was what was going to make me happy in my life. I, I still have a real, real soft spot for obviously science and biology in general, but um, I had to kind of take that long, hard look at myself and think, you know, what yeah. am I going to do with my life? And I realised um, I uh, I didn't think I would ever be an exceptional scientist you know what i mean like i thought ah, you know i'm kind of i can i'm good enough you know i'm kind of like a a mid to upper echelon student i'm not the best i'm not the smartest and and i i just i don't know i thought like i i think i could spend my entire life and maybe just be a, a kind of average scientist but i have this feeling that like i may not be i really thought i could bring something to telling a story like i i I would never ever say that I could write the best story ever, but I knew I could tell a John Locke story and mm. I knew that hadn't been done before. And I, I, I got like weirdly like for a, for a kid who had very little confidence at all, like in in anything, like no confidence in himself. I did have this crazy presumptuous self belief in my writing, which was kind of bizarre. Like I felt, I felt, John the person wasn't up to much, but I thought that John the writer could could maybe be someone I I would like and and everything yeah. and that kind of so I I probably did the most daring thing I'd ever done in in my incredibly boring safe and well behaved life and I said well screw this I'm I'm running off to Canada
1: for a for a year and um, <laughs> did you write it, did you write any of the book when you were in Canada or did you come back I,
2: I kind of started no I um when I, when because I, at the time I was I had this idea for a comic called uh dark force uh oh. which i was, remember you mentioning that last time yeah, yeah. the most 90s thing you've yeah. ever 90s and uh <laughs> I, I i i was in canada i was uh living in this kind of rambling shack of a house with nine other travelers we had a a terrifying landlady who lived next door uh you know and shenanigans happened we threw a house party a wall got demolished in the lounge downstairs (laughs) that 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 happened and uh i was i was you know we were alternating above and below the breadline asking oh man it's so cold it's so cold in toronto in christmas i'm like what am i doing where am i gonna how am i gonna tell a story and get a comic off the ground and um i remember in the first week there was a Uh, like an indie little comic fair going on in a park around the corner. And I went along and there was uh, like some free comics you could pick up and all the Toronto-based indie creators had put together a little anthology. And um, I I had never even heard of Scott Pilgrim at the time. But um, there was a short Scott Pilgrim story in there about them, just the characters just getting sushi, that kind of thing. And I remember talking to these creators there and I met uh, Cameron Stewart he was just kind of there in this tent in this park and he was Toronto based. And I said, look, uh, it's a bit presumptuous, you know, would it be all right if I popped into your studio one day just to say hello and kind of see what was going on. And, um, he said, yeah, come on down. And I've been chatting on MSN messenger,
1: MSN in the, messenger <laughs> in
2: the headed, oh, the days, <laughs> 2007. And, um, I I've been chatting with a, uh, an artist called, uh, Keith who, was Canadian, and we met up when we were in Canada, and he became part of our friendship group. And we were going to make Dark Force. Dark Force was going to be us taking on the world. And uh, I remember going to see Cameron Stewart, and he was saying, "Like, so what's your comic about?" And I was trying to explain to him, and I, I couldn't because it was about everything and nothing at the same time. Like it, it was, you know, it was very, dare I say, kind of teenage. You know, it was kind mm-hmm. of like. Um, you know, it was angels and demons and, and this, that, and the other. And, and, and he was just like, and it's going to be a hundred issues long and it's going to be, it's going to be like Sandman. It's going to be the next Sandman. He was just like, okay, slow down, He's like, <laughs> slow down, you know, start small. You've, you're just going to, you're going to kill yourself if you try to do all that before you can, you know, you're gonna run before you can, you can crawl. And around that same time, I, I uh, popped along to, oh, I, I'm worried I'm repeating myself now, but anyway, I got, I, I got a lovely piece of advice from a Um, uh, from the owner of a comic shop in Toronto called The Beguiling and he told me there's nothing more overrated than a good idea which was absolutely crushed me it was was the (laughs) most devastating advice I'd heard but uh, it ultimately kind of saved me I guess because it it made me stop and think and start from scratch and, and then in that weird environment I found myself in after I think kind of blossomed and I have utterly no idea where it kind of came from um so many of the characters just kind of sprung fully formed out of nothing it's almost like yeah. i was i was the, the everything i got caught up in had just become like a, uh, a blockage and the moment yeah. that was gone i was like oh heck i have an idea
1: and have you still got ideas are you going to do any more after four? Or- Oh, absolutely no okay, um, cool. the,
2: the most depressing thing or well, the most not depressing the most uh maddening thing is that the original idea for after i think which was born from that winter in Toronto was, uh, is that it would be six books. It would be six books in the style of, um, you know, the American graphic novels I'd grown up reading and, uh, yeah. And it would be the rise and fall of after I think and the original plan for the series was it would begin with Jack dying. It would end with an ending, like Mm. a very, very definite ending. Um, and then it took me a very long time to actually get it off the ground from that original idea. Like, uh, Keith was too busy to ultimately commit to it and I couldn't pay him at the time anyway. And it wasn't, so I spent a year of scheming. I spent, I had another comic I was working on in Canada and of course I didn't have an artist. It wasn't going anywhere. When I got back to the UK, uh, I found a job, I started like saving up and then I had enough money to, to pay my first guys. and we made the first story, but I realized I wasn't good enough as a writer to tell the story, the original Mm. arc of after I think I'd always wanted to. So I did one short story I did, which turned into two short stories, which turned into three, which inadvertently became volume one of after I think, which um, you've been reading. And then I ended up making a second book and a third book, none of which he said in a very rambling roundabout way were part of that original plan. Mm. Mm, None of them. So by doing all these kind of indie self-published stories, which I never imagined I would, now finally with book four, I'm coming around to where the original start of the series was. And the only difference now is that I'm not starting with the death of the death of Jack. And um, so many people have said, "Oh, I love, I love the way, I love the way you, you never explained how Jack died. I love, I love how you just dumped us straight into the action." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, that was totally my plan." <laughs> Yeah. In reality, I just started telling these side stories mm. to a story which had ne- which hadn't been made yet. It was almost like yeah. uh, I thought I'd fake it till it started making sense.
1: I think the uh, we we'll, we'll, we better jump onto the big whoops very very <laughs> soon, uh, and then we'll we'll talk about Patreon. So sorry, that. no, it's <laughs> sorry. Cool. Um, But I think the, the way you introduced the, the first story was 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 a great introduction to the world and the sort of the theme and the humor behind it. So. I think the way you started after I think one was a very good way to start a, a book. Um but big big whoops. What uh, a big whoop. Uh has anyone got one they want to start with? John, have you got a big whoop or, or Dan, do you want to go first? Please,
0: Dan, go first. Save me. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um my my big whoop will have to be one that I should have done last week, but I don't know why I didn't do it in the end, but it was that we all went to our first Comic Con, not last Two weeks ago. It doesn't matter. It's on the podcast. Yeah. Um, but then no, we all went to our first Comic-Con in Lincoln, which was the Lincoln <laughs> puns. And um, it, was, it was kind of awesome. Um, mm. So it was basically, it was quite a small affair in terms of how Comic-Cons go, or a few that I've been to. But it was well organized. It was kind of a steady stream of people all day. And it was just really nice having our table, our banner, our books yeah. And being able to stand there and talk to people face to face about what we do, because obviously as writers, we spend a lot of time by ourselves or sort of away from people who actually understand or the people that would enjoy the things that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was just it was just lovely just talking to the people. It was a really well run event by two guys also called Luke and Dan, um, which was very confusing when they were announcing at the end to bring Luke and Dan to the stage to say thank you for everything they've oh, yeah, done. I
1: feel like you're welcome.
0: <laughs> yeah me and luke just look at each other going sure yeah um but no it was just it was just fantastic it was just it motivating more than anything to want to fill that table with more stuff and just talk to more people about what it is we do
1: yeah yeah it was great It was really fun mm.
0: a good stepping stone i think as well to bigger cons because it was quite i wouldn't say it was tiny but i'd say it was it was good enough for a first Comic Con.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. John, do you remember your first con, or how long how long ago was that? Uh,
0: I do. That was
2: February 2012, and that was the inaugural London Super Comic Con. Which wow, uh, the okay. big yeah. the big selling point was they had Scan Lee. Yeah, uh, basically, and not a whole lot else actually. I think I think that's kind of why. <laughs> Uh, we ended up having quite a strong start because I think there were so many people through the door who were like, "Oh, I can't wait to see Stan Lee." Right, I've seen him now.
0: Oh, yeah. What now? And then there's like five tables in the corner, and yeah. I was just kind of waving. And
1: uh, <laughs> he looks nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's I hear. think my,
0: my friend went to that comic. Well, my friend got tickets from his girlfriend to go to that comic con, um, and he's a massive Marvel fan. He was, oh, he was just fanboying all over the fact he was going to see Stan Lee. And then discovered a week later that he, his parents had already booked for them all to go to Italy for that week. Oh, so he, he had to sell the tickets that his girlfriend bought him and never got to see Stanley. I'm sure
1: I'll we'll get to see him at some point. No, he's not doing any more cons, I think. Is that? Nope. Never again.
0: <laughs> well see, it's weird
2: because I swear he's appeared at like three this year unless he's and then maybe now's the cut off point
1: or something. They're the lookalikes. But, the right, Stanley lookalikes, right. yeah. Cosplay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's yeah. funny
2: like some random con experiences because i remember like at that at that london super comic-con where there it was kind of empty they had this big kind of where, like warehouse and not much in it uh there was a guy going around dressed as a uh, this amazing galactus so he had and he had a tiny little silver surfer on his shoulder <laughs> yeah. so like amazing. my first kind of con experience i always remember that galactus yeah, yeah. and then i think the following year uh, we were at Kapow, a short-lived show, but I met this guy who was half-scroll, like, you know, and he and looked really cool, and he was a lovely guy, and I remember just having this really nice chat with him, uh, and, and he just made, sometimes you just meet these most genuinely wonderful people, two yeah. of which I'm talking to right now, of course, oh, thank you. Uh, and he was like, oh, yeah, I was Galactus. I was like, oh, yeah, you were you were there. You were like uh, you have just like this really uh, ingrained memory now at that Did show.
1: he? Did he have a tiny person on his shoulder that was cosplaying as Silver Surfer? <laughs> by, by like very like playing very, at very the time, far away. Yeah, the, the
2: silver, very far away. And yeah. by <laughs> clever tricks of perspective, he always appeared.
1: For his shoulder. <laughs> nice. Um, I guess. I guess my big whoop, I have two, but one just a very very quick one. Just want to say the 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 new Bonnie Bear album has nothing to do with storytelling or comic books but I just can't stop listening to it. Um but my actual uh, storytelling related uh, big whoop is um uh, do you guys know Valiant Comics? Do you know much about Valiant Comics?
0: Hmm. A little bit.
1: Okay. I so want
0: to, I want to say yes.
1: Okay. Uh so there's there's the big two comic book publishers. There's Marvel and there's DC. And in 92 um uh Valiant started and the idea was to start a third big publisher. Uh they had ninjak Bloodshot, Ray, uh Exo Man of War, all these characters or Harbinger, all these characters that were very, very nineties, admittedly, like really super nineties. Like mullets, long hair, um uh, it, it pretty pretty amazing to look at some of those old ones. But then they went bust and they sold they also had turok and um another big one that they've not been able to get back uh solar man of the atom or something like that um so they went but they sold a load of their uh characters and so to um some other companies still got the rights to them they're just not doing anything with them but then in 2012 they relaunched um with a whole new comic book line every single comic book is kicking ass archer and armstrong have you any of these names ringing any bells or (laughs)
2: Yeah, I, I see yeah. him around. Do you mm. know what's weird? I have this thing about Archer and Armstrong. Well, mm. I have no idea what it's about. But, I
1: think you would love Archer and Armstrong, by the way.
2: But the 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 name, the name always sticks in my like every time I see it. It's mm. like uh, it's like having stuck something stuck in in a tooth. You know, you just can't. Yeah. Something about the name. I'm always like, what is it? Like what what is it about? Like it baffles me. I want to. It oh, just right. seems so weird that a mainstream comic is called Archer and Armstrong.
1: Yeah, it's kind of bonkers as well. It's about um this immortal drunk guy, and um, this kid who was raised... He's like a kid, Christian assassin, who was raised in a theme park where they trained little uh, kids to believe in Jesus and go kill people who they didn't want. They had like a hit list sort of thing. Um, right. and,
0: Amazing. And, Sorry, I'm just looking at pictures on Google.
1: And then they just go on these crazy adventures. Um, There's like uh, zombie nuns. There's... um uh They go to a place called The away where there's a guy called General Redacted who as you're reading the comic book every other word is like blanked out because you're not allowed to see what he's saying it's the most it's the most hilarious comic book it's uh written by fred van lenti if if you know fred um but it, it's it's so good but anyway valiant so they've just decided to go all punk rock and they decided to fund their own web series for their characters um so, ah,
2: right, yeah, this is ringing a bell
1: now. Yeah, so uh, it's called Ninjak versus the Valiant Universe. I think the idea is that, um, they can't compete with Marvel's budget or DC's budgets to make their films, but they want to get involved in the live action scene, and, and they've decided to team up with uh, a YouTube company called Bat and the Sun Productions, and they do Superpower Beatdown, which is where they get, um, like the fan films, so they go Wolverine versus Predator, and they like film it all, really, really a really proper fight, and they have White Ranger versus Scorpion, and all these crazy fights. Uh, so Valiant, I just love this punk rock attitude to saying, right, we're gonna give this little indie film company a load of money. They're gonna have full reign of our characters, and we're gonna get our characters out to you know millions of millions of people who are ever gonna see it. But I just, I just absolutely love this company. Bloodshot is. Um, yeah so Archie and Armstrong read that Bloodshot is great as well I would recommend it totally I've,
0: I've looked at some of the panels just a second ago and I've, I've got to say that's going to be on my list for next mm. next read
1: John I, I'd recommend also Ivar Timewalker which is like uh, a
2: okay that yeah. sounds great title yeah. again yeah
1: yeah, yeah I, I think I just love this company and I think I think you will if you looked into it a bit more yeah
2: I, I certainly will I, that, that's the best recommendation I've, I've I've heard I'll definitely check it out
1: <laughs> cool cool uh, okay, so we need to figure out Patreon. John is going to hopefully help us figure oh, out Patreon. Oh, revamping, yeah. <laughs> we tried. We failed. <laughs> um, we didn't try very hard. We to didn't be try honest, very hard.
0: But we we tried.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: oh well, I
2: hope uh, I hope you don't consider me an authority on the matter because I, I I'd hate to scare you wrong.
1: Well, I, I think you're doing it in the correct and best way. You have a, a fan base. You have a you know, money coming in through the, uh, through the, whatever, the portal, whatever it's called. Um, and I think, and I think you're the right guy to sort of show us where, what to do. Or could you explain Patreon to uh, Can you be our of, Gandalf? Yeah.
2: Can I be your Gandalf? Uh, I, I guess better than uh, Radagast on a runaway. <laughs> but no, sorry. Um, well, Patreon, yeah. Uh, I guess in a nutshell, uh, Patreon. sister service and kind of companion to kickstarter in that it is a way for fans to give regular monthly payments to creators they follow and i guess typically but not essentially these are smaller payments so uh, you know the typical model is you're giving a little frequently but you know that 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 isn't you know Set, that isn't set in concrete there are there are exceptions to the rule at all times
1: hmm. that's but sad. Uh,
2: sad. i find it fascinating i genuinely do patreon so, in general
1: it's a uh, beautiful description i think uh, it's probably the most succinct uh, description i've ever heard of patreon um so you so your patreon campaign it, it looks to me like you've anchored it around big punch magazine would you say that's correct
2: well, uh yes, indeed. I mean, I think uh that was that was the original idea. Because
1: mm. we uh
2: thing is like again, Patreon uh I still feel as though the indie comic book, or maybe just comic books in general, are still kind of finding their feet with Patreon. And I know I know for a fact that we are as well. Like uh it you see the areas which are doing really well, or the creators that are doing really well on Patreon, and it's not comic books as such. Mm. Um, I heard someone say once that like uh, uh, Kickstarter lends itself more to a thing, a product, like one-off kind of. You saying like a, I saw like a Venn diagram of like you know how best to plan your crowdfunding or whatever, mm. and. Uh, Yeah, if you're making a thing with a defined end goal, maybe Kickstarter is for you. Uh, If you are doing more of an ongoing thing, then Patreon is maybe for you. Um, So I guess traditionally back in the day, people might just uh, put stuff online for free. I think Patreon does lend itself so well to... Was anything within an online component? I know that sounds kind yeah. of like slightly redundant because everything has an online component these days. But I think like you think about what you're creating and you think about the platform it's released on, and if it's going online regularly, then I think whatever it is, you're you're gonna kind of do well on Patreon. I feel. Mm. Um, but yeah, we we um, I don't think the indie comic book scene has traditionally. Kind of fitted quite well into that model, and um, we we started doing BPM nearly two years ago now, and we had this idea that we would do a regular print magazine, which was something that, uh, given the production costs of doing stuff on an indie level, that was quite hard, uh, and it certainly hadn't been done too often on this small scale. So we thought, well, how are we going to do this? How are we going to make it work? And we wanted to offer it as a subscription, which again to our knowledge was not something which had really been done too much in the UK indie comic scene. I'm sure there's plenty of examples out there that would prove me wrong, but um, so yeah, we, we set up a subscription and we, mm. we did, we had kind of two branches to that. One was through Moonclerk, which is a, it's just kind of a third party subscription provider, which has the mechanisms to allow you to take addresses and payment details and everything. And, uh, and then also through Patreon and, the, the way we broke it down and we did originally, uh, shape it entirely around BPM, our magazine. The idea was that you could either subscribe through our website, in which case every three months, every time a new issue was made, um, five pounds plus postage would go out as a subscription, or because Patreon is monthly, you could, you know, become a patron and a smaller amount would go out every month but it would equate roughly you know over mm. three months to the same as getting an issue of, B, of bpm and i yeah. we always said that any patron would also get kind of behind the scenes extras and that was the original plan and we've we've tried to <coughs> refine it a bit kind yeah. of, since then but i feel we're always kind of learning and, and evolving
1: yeah i think um dan what what is our new plan that we're thinking about could how would we best describe it so
0: I think we're looking at what we did before was we kind of tried to launch it on the back of the success of the other stories and have it as a bit of a, um, you can get, it was like weekly in advance episodes of the other stories. So you get exclusive sort of before anyone else, mm. um, which didn't really take. But I think now what we're looking at doing is almost branding it as um, an exclusive insiders club. So you get a bit more of the backstage stuff. You get a lot more of the behind the scenes as well as sort of extras that you can't. Get anywhere else, mm-hmm. um but not really. Kind of going over the top of it, just having it as if you're a super fan and you're really enjoying the stuff and you want more. Here is this service where, for an extra couple of dollars or whatever, is on Patreon. You can you can get a bit more from us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of how we're approaching it because I kind of feel like with some people, the minute you say Patreon, subscribe, whatever, people one might not know what Patreon is, so it's a bit scary, mm-hmm. and two people that do know know. I don't know. It's almost like a buzzword that could put some people off of, um, of subscribing and and becoming a patron. So we're going to try and I think brand it as a bit more of an insider's club. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, No, I, I, uh,
0: it's,
2: it's really interesting because it's something we, we've been talking about a lot recently and I'm sure other people arrived at this a lot earlier, but it was a revelation for us, at least. But the psychology of it is absolutely fascinating, because I never imagined that anyone would want to give money yeah. uh, to, to to support it. I know it sounds daft, but like I, it always occurred to me that like uh, I always thought for the longest time that like stuff online is kind of free. That's kind of a thing, you know. Like if you were putting out a webcomic, for example, the traditional model was always you put the webcomic out entirely for free almost as like a kind of spec- speculating and then you sell books off the back of it and that's how you kind of you know make money um our but of course i'm learning now that um this is maybe this is obviously obviously a good thing but it's coming around and now kind of people are more willing to i i, mean, I seem to want to keep giving money to support people but the thing, <laughs> thing, thing we're finding really interesting is um because we skied out making physical graphic novels and comics and and going to going to conventions to sell them. And that was originally our the the entire backbone of everything of everything we did. And, Mm. you know, it was fine because we could kind of not really do much stuff for. uh, We started out making graphic novels, taking them to shows and selling them, which was uh, kind of wonderful. That was a model which was working for us. But we're noticing now, as we, say, try to expand and do stuff like Patreon, we're noticing that that traditional audience, so say, and by which I mean kind of like a convention goer, and we would have returning fans. We'd have people who would come back at a show and say, oh, hey, having seen you since last year, what have you made now? Great, I want to buy that, which is wonderful. So we had a fan base which was very engaged at shows, but then we didn't necessarily have a lot of engagement online with them. And I think the thing we found with Patreon is that, well, we've had maybe kind of, uh, I think kind of like moderate success with, with Patreon, you know, it's, it's not kind of crazy money, but it's allowing us on top of uh, when coupled with our subscriptions to keep doing fun stuff and it's continuing to grow. But we found that like uh, that audience, which was traditionally the audience we were reaching the convention going audience, which would go and buy books, maybe once a year was not really the same audience, which seemed to, kind of getting behind patreon whereas i think like and what we're trying to do now just because you know we don't want to be dependent on shows for the rest of our lives we'd like Mm -hmm. to have uh you know a kind of community and fan base online which uh kind of ticks over all year round and then we can go to shows because we because we want to and because we like meeting our fans and not because we desperately feel we have to in order to keep kind of the you know yeah the yeah. business side of things kind of ticking over so it's fascinating and and I, I think the the perfect counterbalance to that is to see the kind of money that say uh streamers are making like a uh, kind of uh, game streamers um uh it, it's 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 kind of crazy actually um i know uh it's, it's hard sometimes not to lose your mind with frustration when uh I know for a fact, I know for a fact, please don't ask me how I know this, but I know for a fact that there is a an erotically charged artist whose work predominantly revolves around hobbits.
1: Wow, okay.
2: So let, that, let that sink in for a minute. Who is making something in the region of $10,000, if not much, well, I know that's a minimum, a month Yeah. on on oh. Patreon. So
1: It's, 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 it's difficult have not theory. to look at that and sort of get, Question just, what you're doing, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, like, it's the same on like uh Steam it, and it's the same on like you know, Amazon, yeah, yeah. Kindle publishing. There's always gonna be unicorns who are making a ludicrous amount of money for what might not seem that much like work, or I don't know, to I don't see the quality, I guess, as much as other people would, but it, it's it's disheartening. But I guess you sort of have to, you know, get the blinkers on and not focus on that, and just focus yeah. on what you're doing. and.
2: No, I guess, cause, I guess down that road, madness
1: Yeah, exactly. Although yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah. I will, um, it, it is interesting because um, we, uh, the idea we had, and certainly because we were doing a print publication with, with BPM, the idea was that like uh, anyone who was backing us as a patron um, or, or subscribing, it was something we would send people magazines each year. That was the idea. And I think it added up to something like a hundred and, over one hundred eighty pages of full color physical comic, which we thought was a pretty good—you know—we're sending out a lot of material, and then it's like um, at the same time, I—I—I I, I know an example of of someone who plays video games on Twitch, and yeah. their only Patreon tier is give me twenty five dollars <laughs> a month, and I will I will keep playing games, and I'm like. <laughs> Like what? Are you, what? Are you, what are you getting out of that? Like, yeah. I, this, this is me <laughs> being a grumpy old man who doesn't understand the kicks because uh, uh, he's incredibly entitled of me. And people can spend their money on whatever
0: they want, but at the same time, I'm like, seriously, what are you getting? <laughs> out of I, that? I completely agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people who I might be sort of um, generalising, and sorry if I offend anyone that is listening, um, but I feel like people that watch people on Twitch playing games are those people that don't appreciate what goes on behind it so obviously when it comes to things like big punch when it comes to things like uh hawk and cleaver we we put hours into the background trying to produce things that are of quality but all people care about is the end result so sometimes people just like to watch people kick ass on games yeah Yeah? and unfortunately there's a big audience for that which i'm the same as you i won't understand in the slightest because i'm much more of a player than a watcher um it just doesn't make sense I think like uh,
2: there's a – I heard someone make a really interesting point the other day about how, in their opinion, there were three types of – I don't want to say people, but, you know, you could get like creators mm. who were kind of like a- actively making new stuff. Obviously, the the, the name is pretty self-explanatory. Uh, or uh, content generators into which they kind of grouped uh, people who stream. Uh, it's kind of like – or people who do, say, YouTube commentaries, it's like you're kind of creating something new, but it's entirely, it's more like you're repackaging something that kind of already exists. So yeah. for example, you would be doing a, uh, a YouTube series in which you are dissecting or commenting on movies or that kind of thing, or you know, playing uh, video games uh, for entertainment purposes. It's like what you're doing is entertaining, but it's not kind of, ultimately creating anything new and then the third category was kind of like uh, uh curators which they kind of took to be people kind of like uh we uh doing like uh like fan art like logos kind of like um like a t-shirt which is like a mashup of doctor who and the triforce or something like that like it's kind of or list generators like it's yeah you're kind of you you're kind of assembling content, yeah but it's coming from other places yeah. and it's interesting and, and this is maybe like a, a very half formed theory that I'm kind of putting together but it, I, did, I am noticing a lot at the moment that we seem to be a lot of interest in content uh, generators content creators and uh, and curators over actual creators. I think it's like the age of the remix the age of kind of like taking existing content changing it around putting it back out and i i worry that like we're at a point now where we're just kind of repackaging existing stuff and rewarding and rewarding that yeah, and I, yeah. and not kind of rewarding brand new creators and i think like maybe in 3 or 4 years time we'll be like oh heck we've run out of stuff to yeah. <laughs>
1: we've run out of
2: stuff to reference we need to yeah <laughs> maybe so new ideas yeah, again
1: yeah i do think um um I, I think all three have value. I think curation, especially uh in Amazon publishing, is is not there. Um I, I know I know there's people doing book reviews and they're like you know, doing awards for the best ten horror novel India novels that year or something. But there's just so much content out there that it's very difficult for those people to find uh the kind of books that they want to read. Um but I guess I mean I was just gonna say do you think it's worth having um, a foot in each of those pies within like a publishing company? So does that metaphor even work? <laughs> so like you have your creation, um, so you make your original content. You have a bit of commentary. So we've dabbled with this, uh, a bit of a, a game play along type thing. Um, and then I guess a bit of curation. We've not really done much of that, but I'm just Start wondering. If- to. I, mean,
0: I mean, you could kind of say that, the books that we write, the basis of what we do a lot of the time is it's X meets X.
1: Ooh, okay. Which yeah. is,
0: even though you're creating something new, the original idea is mm-hmm. kind of founded on ideas that have preexisted.
1: Yeah.
0: I think, um,
2: yeah. And I, I agree entirely. I, and I, this is where I hope I don't come across as too much of a grumpy old man, because there definitely is merit, absolutely merit in all of them. Um, I think, um, I think it's, it, it's, I think there are obstacles in your way, if you are uh, a creator, particularly a small creator, because uh, I, I think even though I don't know if we're still feeling the effects of like the economic crisis from a few years ago, but people are very selective about the things they support and they're very, people seem to like familiarity. So there's always like, I think maybe once upon a time the new was kind of exciting. I think the new can be a little scary mm. nowadays and um i think uh yeah sometimes you you have to do what you can to survive i mean i think a, a a good example of this would be would be loading ready run who i who i brought up earlier and initially they were uh creators they were making a kind of uh, a weekly comic sketch i think they were doing about three or four videos a week and they did that kind of predating youtube they were very very much some of the early pioneers of that kind of thing. But in recent years, they have, uh, they started a sideline in uh, streaming. They're doing video games and, uh, and watching them and we, and we followed them. We would, uh, we watch them because we enjoy them as people, but it's like, it's interesting to note that I think over time, the amount of actual creation they've done has started to diminish and the amount of time they spend streaming yeah, has has gone up, and it and it, it's interesting because they I know for a fact they make more money now off the back of streamers and of them being streamers, and I'm very happy for them because they're they're nice people and everything. But it, it's interesting. It's um, it, it you know you, you sometimes wonder if you're going about things the wrong <laughs> the wrong way. You think like <laughs> yeah. if we were, you know, maybe it'd be nicer if there were some things which were you know if we had something which was like a money maker which would kind of like allow us to to support the other stuff because yeah. I don't know. I, it's, a, it's a very I, – I know I'm rambling. It's a bit of a vague thesis. I just think there's interesting questions. I guess you kind of need to ask yourself about what you are and what you're trying to do and and ultimately what you would be satisfied with because I guess – and a very good thing I heard said the other day is it's not about having the most followers. It's not about saying, I want a million like I want a million active subscribers or whatnot, it'd be much better to have a small but engaged
1: yeah. fan base.
2: Like having, if you had a 100,000 visitors to your website every day, but I don't know, none of them were interested, like really buying anything you did, then, uh, you know, but if you had, say, 200 dedicated fans who were like, we love you guys and we will we'll buy everything you do and we'll give you yeah. And we're happy to become your patron and give you give you some money every month. Uh, yeah.
1: Have you seen? Um, do you know Kevin Kelly? He's uh, the editor of the Wired magazine and he's uh, uh, an, a futurist. He's a really cool guy. I think they call him the most interested man in the world. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. But he did a he wrote a blog post um, a few years ago. It's pretty internet famous now. It's called uh, A Thousand True Fans, and he basically surmised that um, if you had a thousand Fans who would buy everything you do, follow you around, and would be completely engaged—you could make a full-time living. Like um, he, he went into quite uh, a lot of detail in some of these in his post, but it was—it sort of made sense. Like you don't want millions and millions of fans, although having a million is probably going to give you more of yeah, the true it's, fans as well. It's,
0: it's better for people to find you if you got more yeah. numbers, isn't it?
1: It's... Yeah, but you don't—you don't need the massive amount. You just need good people.
0: Do you think this is one of the things about Patreon itself is that I think because I launched my own Patreon for my own writing a couple of months ago and it didn't do as well as kind of hoped it would. Hmm. Um, But it's one of those things that it's a lot slower in success because people who invest in you are the people that want to see it long term. It's not like like you say with Kickstarter, you pay $10 and in a month. That's it. It's people saying, I'm going to give you my time and my money regularly mm-hmm. for the foreseeable future and yeah. if it is a slower building essentially that's fantastic because that proves and shows that that person is more of a fan than say someone who will just mm-hmm. buy a book and then walk away yeah i think um i think it's interesting because i think uh yeah i
2: think i think as a creator certainly so as an indie creator it doesn't hurt to have one yeah and i think uh as with kickstarter and i think it's something I've, I've definitely noticed this time around with kickstarter um, it's not a magic wand for success. And I think it's interesting that like when Patreon came around and th- I guess if you were to kind of look at some of the real success stories on Patreon right now, I would argue that they were kind of, they were established or, you know, they had yeah,
1: yeah. pre yeah
2: before Patreon came along. And I think it's very hard to start from the bottom and work your way up. And I think kind of patience is, is kind of, is, is, is essential. And I think, uh, kind of having one is by no means a detriment. Um but as you said, like it's it's interesting. You you get one and you think, oh great, like this could this could change everything. But I I think this kind of goes into I guess kind of who you are as a creator or 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 who you all are as, as a group of creators and also who your audience is. Because I think one thing we've noticed with our Patreon and something we tried to kind of rectify is that originally it was very focused on BPM magazine. So then of course if we had someone who was a fan of say Afterlife I think say they say they really enjoyed what my work on Afterlife I think and they're like well hey I want to support you on I want to support you on Patreon or something but you've got this Patreon for Big Punch and I'm like where does Afterlife I think fall in that and like I, I don't really know what it's BPM is I don't really care about that but I do love Afterlife I think or you know or vice versa just as like an, an example. And I think um I think your Patreon needs a focus and that's something, you know, this is why I said like we've by no means masked it and we're going to continually try and evolve and, 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 and improve. But um, yeah, it's interesting. Like, we want, we want our Patreon to kind of represent everything we did as big punch studios. But then we think to ourselves, well, what, what do people know? What do people respond to more? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it could be argued that because after I think has existed longer than big punch, you know, maybe after I think is a better known brand, much as like Nick's seven string had a life before big punch. So it's interesting. Like if you, you know, like, you know, Dan Wilcox patron, you know, it's like, are you doing a patron for Dan Wilcox comma writer? Or is it like, this is the name of one story I wrote, you know, yeah, it's like yeah. the, the ongoing work of Dan, of, um, I don't know. Um, uh, Dick Punch, like Private Eye, or something like that, like the most, <laughs> the most f- thrilling, uh, and and his psychic map finish, and they're just like you know they're going off in mm-hmm. like same world, and people go, I love the ongoing adventures of of Dick Punch
0: and of Richard Dick, Punch,
2: yeah, of Richard, <laughs> yeah, Richard Punch, and it's like, I who writes it? Oh, I don't know, some guy called Dan, but I love I love Dick, you know, this yeah. is the thing, and it's like, and, and and it's interesting because if you had, you know. Uh, if if your presence as you yourself is strong enough, mm. people are going to want to support that. It. And this is this is the thing. This is the, I guess this is this is the balance you have to to kind of strike.
1: Yeah, it it seems to me like um, the the first takeaway then is to find something to the, the best way to the best anchor for the the campaign. that's going to be the biggest law, but then you sort of want to have it expand outwards to be something bigger. And it's almost like your, your Patreon campaign should just be a platform to enable those a thousand true fans to support you. Like you don't, um, you shouldn't be seeing it as a marketplace to, you know, um, find new customers and, and, and and build up your brand there, but it seems more of a place for people to support you and, and keep you going.
2: Yeah. And I think, um, you know, a big thing is, is, is not being afraid to put your personality out there because Mm. people are starting to realize and maybe this is a turning tide which is ultimately a good thing that you know you're not robots who make these machines it's like people may love your books but i think where patreon will shine is where people go i love the work of hawk and cleaver but i love the guys who are hawk and cleaver even more and i want to see them kind of you know succeed and have their success and um i think uh I guess one thing which has always worked in our favor is that I think we've always been very, or tried to be at least very sociable. I think, I guess it's hard on a Sunday morning at a con when you're kind of very grumpy <laughs> and tired, but it's like, it's genuinely one of the greatest joys uh, of, of creating has been meeting people at shows. I've absolutely loved, love, love, love meeting people and yeah. uh, talking to them and knowing someone loves your stuff. And I think, I think the only, the only downside, it is what I mentioned earlier, simply that I think the traditional, and I'm, I'm generalizing massively, but I think the traditional UK kind of comic buying scene has really yet to come around to Patreon as a whole. Yeah. And I, th- I think we'll get there. So I, I think at the moment, what you absolutely need is a web presence and community. And you need a place where people can come and find you daily, whatever it is you do. I think it's hard to do a patreon if your fans can only really engage with you once or twice a year at a show
1: yeah like yeah.
2: i I, th- I think uh, whatever you do, be it twitch streaming or crafts or writing or or making comics, it's like it, it you need a ded- you need some of where they can find you on a regular basis, and I think they need a reason to come find you on a regular basis, and yeah. you know if you're putting out your books on regularly or as installments or kind of like uh i guess serialized. Arthur Conan Doyle style short bursts of microfiction and your podcast, that's the kind of thing which is really
0: going to, really going to strike a chord.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. I think also
0: it's worth uh, coming back round to the not making loads of money thing is a lot of people, if somebody does decide to become a patron and they do just say, you know, a dollar for the, for the tip jar, just topping up the tank that even though it is just a dollar and that number doesn't look big, that's a fan. And that's a fan that, through Patreon, you have a direct connection to mm. because we get, it, we get it loads with um, the other stories. We get so many listeners that, you know, we're not going to know their names. We're not going to know who they are. They just enjoy what we do and they're in the background, but having that $1, just, I think it's important to appreciate that that is a person and that is someone mm. who believes in you. Mm. Yeah. And I,
2: I, I think that's, that's probably ties into the kind of like the, the, the next point I want to make is that, uh, it's kind of, or I always, always, it, it, be it, um, listen to me, I'm mumbling, be it a Kickstarter, be it a Patreon, like in everything we, we do, we've always believed in trying very, very hard to treat our fans fairly, which is why uh, I brought up the early thing of like someone giving you $25 a month to play a game. Like I've, I've seen people, I, I support a few people on Patreon and I've seen people offering, I feel much, much more much much less i feel you know um so which is why i think patreon works best at traditionally these these kind of low numbers and we always wanted to give give people extras i mean we're we're wheeling out some ideas where we really want to make our patrons feel special and feel kind of engaged in what we do and so we've got a couple of things kind of in the works for next year but yeah we we that anyone would back is is you know a hell of an honor yeah. It's the same, same with our subscribers. It just, it really does make all this possible, you know, yeah. whatever all this is, you know.
1: Wicked. So uh, we're coming, well, we've gone over the hour again. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so we should. Uh, I'm so
2: sorry, guys. No, no, of just, not, no. I really have been uh, uh, out of control tonight. No, it's gone quick.
1: It's gone really quick. Uh, so. By. Uh, I've, I've last minute put together some quick-fire <laughs> questions. So, John, if, you, if you're ready for a, a second round, round of quick-fire questions. Um... Uh,
2: yeah, fire away. Uh,
1: hit me where it hurts. Quickly, please. <laughs> okay, Dan, do you want to go first? After you, mate. You go first, Time. Okay. John, are you ready? Yeah. Born ready. Uh, carpet or floorboards?
0: Floorboards. Coffee or tea?
1: Coffee. <laughs> last person you sniffed.
2: Uh, book
0: my uh, friend trainer at his wedding <laughs> at the weekend he
1: smelled like nice. a
2: champion
0: <laughs> what is the key ingredient of surprise uh, timing did you know yeah I did <laughs> <laughs> David
1: Blaine or Paul Daniels <laughs>
2: oh uh, Paul Daniels
1: uh, what makes a good comic book
2: uh, staples. the best film sequel oh Ooh
1: gracious
2: uh i liked age of ultron
1: okay cool um how was that guy uh <laughs> spirit writer i guess i know who this is now actually uh yeah,
0: grandma's yeah
1: cool Grand spirit
0: Rising. spirit carbonated soda drink
1: oh <laughs>
2: uh uh oh, tonic water
1: oh lovely <laughs> i
2: love i I, loved I, I enjoyed age of ultron as well thank you thank yeah, you i thought it cool i
1: liked yeah. it um We're kind of
2: we we have our support group monthly where we uh, we talk about <laughs> <Is> <laughs> talk it, about our love for a movie.
1: A AA meeting, right? Age of alcohol, quite work. A yeah, Cool. Okay, so where shall we send people to this week, John?
2: Well, uh, if if they were kind enough to make it through another hour of me waffling, and and I'm just going to keep apologising, but I, I hope I haven't come across as too much of a grumpy old man because I, I just had random thoughts to get out of my head. But uh, yeah, uh, www.bigpunchstudios.com is the place for all things Big Punch. And uh, uh, I guess wwwafterlife as well, where we'll be getting some new content up on the site as well.
1: Great. And Dan, do you want to send people to you this week?
0: Uh, www.hawkingcleaver.com. Just
1: put your email down, get yourself a free book. Great. All right, guys. I'm going to stop the recording now. We hope you enjoyed
2: this episode of the Story Studio Podcast. Still hungering for some podcast goodness? Then why not check out our other show, The Other Stories. Oh, and did you know, every
0: time you leave us a review in the iTunes store, a puppy is born. Cute, day. Eh? Anyway, toodle care.